Thank you very much. Uh, I, I must admit that I uh, came here tonight not knowing a great deal about the Academy. Um, Wayne Reynolds had forewarned me, however, that former President Reagan uh, was going to be speaking tonight. And, of course, at the thought that I was going to follow to the podium uh, a former President of the United States, uh, I was, I admit, a bit self-impressed. Uh, until I recalled uh, that at a much earlier stage in his career, the president had shared the stage with a chimpanzee. So uh, I, uh, I want to begin by congratulating all of the young people who are here tonight. Um, I envy you uh, the remarkable talents and potential uh, that have brought you here. Uh, in what little dose of wisdom uh, I can contribute, I want to talk about something that I suspect many of the honorees would talk to you about, and that is good old-fashioned luck. Uh, my dream as a young person uh, from the time I was probably 10 or 11 years old, was to be a writer, a novelist. Uh, and I began pursuit of that dream uh, by writing novels uh, when I was in, in college. And I was fortunate enough to win a writing fellowship at Stanford, uh, and after that to serve for three years on the faculty there uh, as a lecturer in the English department. And during those years, I discovered that things were not um, going very well for me as a writer. Uh, I wrote a novel there. I made a very serious attempt at writing a good novel, uh, but there were at least 23 publishers in New York who did not share my opinion of that book. It was called The Way Things Are, and indeed it taught me the way things are. Uh, and for that reason, uh, but much more so because in the process of writing that novel, which was about a rent strike, uh, I had uh, uncovered a totally surprising to me interest in the law, uh, I made the decision to go to law school. Uh, as I say, this was a bit of a shock to me. My father is a doctor, and he was to some extent a prophet in his own time, which is to say that he hated lawyers long before it was fashionable for doctors to do so. Um, but having uncovered this interest in the law, I decided that I would pursue it. Uh, and it was at that point uh, that the first true stroke of luck in my literary career took place. Uh, I wrote to the poor, unfortunate literary agent in New York who had been uh, trundling around this novel the way things are to different publishers and getting it back. And as really as a sop to her to explain this decision that I had made, uh, I told her uh, that I thought it would be a good idea if someone wrote a book about the experience of being a law student, a nonfiction book. Uh, now, of course, I did not have in mind myself as the author of this book. Uh, as I mentioned, my dream was to be a novelist, a writer of fiction. Uh, but it was somewhat symptomatic of the difficulties in my relationship with my agent, and there were some problems, that she did not understand uh, that I was not talking about myself. And so it was that I came back to my apartment one 
day. I was living in San Francisco then and found a letter that was very different than the letters I was usually getting from my agent. Uh, and in this, in this case, um, usually it was a two-sheet piece of correspondence I got from her, a cover letter that said, here's another one, and then a rejection slip underneath it. Uh, but this time, what there was was a contract to write a nonfiction book about my first year experience as a law student. Uh, and as I say, I was a novelist, a writer of fiction, but I'd also seen about 20 rejection slips at that point. And so, of course, I ran into the apartment, signed the contract, and then went off to Harvard Law School to make new friends and to write about them. Uh, <laughs> I did write the book, 1L. Uh, as far as I can tell, that, that contract to write it was um, very much the, the product of a somewhat, uh, shall we say, watery Friday afternoon conversation between the agent and the editor who had bought it. Um, and uh, when I finished 1L, the editor even called me up and um, apparently had no recollection of this wine-soaked conversation because he said to me, gee, I've read this book and I I just have one thing to ask you about it. And I, I said, didn't I follow your directions? He said, oh, yeah, you followed my directions just fine. I just want you to remind me of one thing. Why did I want to buy this book? But at any rate, 1L came out in 1977. It had reasonably good success. But at that point, uh, my involvement with the law was such that I had absolutely no thought of turning away from that career. Um, at, by the same token, I became an assistant United States attorney in Chicago. Uh, but I also wanted to go back to my first ambition, to be a novelist. And so every morning on the commuter train uh, on the way into the city, the train that I still ride, I wrote by longhand on certain notebooks. And the book I began is now known as Presumed Innocent. Um, and after about two years of writing longhand, I got to a certain point in the plot where uh, not only did I not know who had, uh, who had killed Carolyn Palhemus and presumed innocent, but I did not understand any of the many multiplying subplots. And I decided it would be a good time to take some time off. Uh, and for those of you who have, um, have not read Presumed Innocent, it is known principally as a, as a courtroom novel. Um, but of course, I had not gotten that far at that point. And again, at this point, the second stroke of luck uh, comes into play, uh, namely my agent, yet again, who called me up and said, what are, you, what are you doing? And I told her I was indeed writing and that I'm very excited about this novel. It's about a prosecutor who's investigating the murder of his mistress. And she interrupted me at that point. She knew what I was doing for a living. And she said, well, there's a trial in there, isn't there? And, of course, I was always too abashed by my agent to say no, so I said yes, and that's where the 190-page trial in Presumed Innocent comes from. The last stroke of luck came um, a few years after that, when I'd gone back to writing Presumed Innocent on a somewhat episodic basis and was involved uh, in the trial of one of the cases that it was known locally as a Greylord case. Um, Greylord was a, a project embarked upon by the United States Attorney's Office here in which a number of judges and lawyers were accused of various crimes related to corruption in the state court system here. Uh, 
And I tried one of those cases uh, involving a judge who had uh, the habit of calling various parties and lawyers and court appointees into his chambers uh, and usually on the eve of trial explaining to them that he was in dire financial straits and that he would like to borrow uh, say ten or twenty or thirty thousand uh, dollars, money which generally went unreturned. Um, and this case caught the fancy of the Chicago media. Uh, it became one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent, of the Greylord trials. And as that happened and the attention uh, and the tension in the case itself increased, uh, I found myself sleepless uh, more and more often. And as happens when I am sleepless, my wife Annette was sleepless. Uh, and so it was that one morning, she very early in the morning, she propped herself up on one elbow and spoke to me the words that I think are probably familiar to the spouses of lawyers everywhere, namely, I want you to quit that goddamn job. Uh, what Annette had in mind was that, um, that I should leave the U.S. Attorney's Office as soon as that jury went out and finish presumed innocent. Uh, and I did that. And I am here today because I had the good luck uh, to marry a woman who in many ways was more courageous than I am uh, and who inspired me in spite of the fact that uh, we had two young children uh, to basically give up my job for a while. Uh, and finish this book and sort of pursue what had always seemed to me to be um, my great dream. Uh, from all of this, uh, I, I take certain lessons um, that I do mean to sincerely impart, no matter how mawkish uh, it may sound. Uh, I don't think you will hear from anybody um, this weekend who has not been blessed by extraordinary great luck. Uh, I looked at Michael Jordan up here earlier, who is clearly in his calling as superior as probably any human being I know of, and thought to myself, of course, but he credits the good fortune of the parents that he had, and I'm, and I'm sure that there is a great deal in what he is saying, um, that the Jordans contributed mightily to the attitudes, um, the sort of self-esteem that, that Michael Jordan has that makes him the truly extraordinary athlete and human being that he is. Uh, you young persons who are here, you're, nothing will erase your talent. Uh, and I promise you that. Uh, but no one can guarantee you uh, what will come of it. Uh, with the kind of luck uh, that I have enjoyed, and frankly, I think any person who comes to any kind of prominence enjoys, um, it's likely that many of you will come and stand in places like this. Um, but that, in my own mind, and I doubt in the minds of, and I'm sure in the minds of everyone else who will come and stand here, that is not the true measure of achievement. Um, when Presumed Innocent uh, was, was sold to the publishers first, um, a reporter showed up from the New York Times and sort of looked around my house and noticed that my wife and I had not yet moved in spite of the fact that I'd made more money in a month than I had in the eight years that I'd worked for the United States government. Uh, and uh, he asked, well, why hadn't we you know, bought our chateau on Lake Michigan? 
And my wife told him, well, we felt like we were successes already. Uh, and that is true. And I, I offer that to you, that to find what is precious to you uh, in work, in your family, uh, and to work hard at doing it um, still seems to me to be the great measure of success and self-fulfillment. Uh, will, you will have to depend on good fortune and pure serendipity um, to make the great achievements, uh, but a life um, in which you are fortunate enough to determine what is important to you and to pursue it uh, with energy uh, and with a sense of commitment uh, is to me the, the mark of real achievement. Uh, and I'm sure it is something that uh, is shared by all the people you'll be hearing from this weekend. So I thank you very much, and I offer you my nickel's worth of advice, and thank you for your attention.